And now, The Mentors, one of the most popular and unique shows on the radio today. Each week, one of our four remarkable CEOs, including Tom Lord, John Phillips, and Rick Brutico, will challenge your thinking about life and work. Sought after for their success and for consistently putting people first, treating employees and customers with respect, and helping others succeed, now these same CEOs, the mentors, want to help you achieve your highest level of profitability, success, and personal fulfillment in life, at work, and in business. Now, here's your mentor. Welcome. I'm Tom Laurie, and I'll be your host today. Thank you for joining us. Today, I will be joined by Michael Colopy, one of the preeminent photographers of our time. He has gained worldwide recognition for his commissioned portraits of hundreds of public figures, including world leaders such as St. Pope John Paul II, St. Teresa of Calcutta, Mikhail Gorbachev, and Margaret Thatcher, to entertainers like Ella Fitzgerald, Mick Jagger, B.B. King, and Luciano Pavarotti. His Architects of Peace project is permanently exhibited at the National Civil Rights Museum, Marquette University, the Hoover Institute Archives at Stanford, and Anahuac University in Mexico City, and Santa Clara University. While self-taught, his early mentors included Ansel Adams and Richard Avedon. Welcome, Michael, and thank you for the honor of your time. Let's get started with your early interest in photography and your interactions with Ansel Adams and Richard Avedon. Well, Tom, first of all, it's a pleasure to be here with you. And when I got out of uh, college, I went to St. Mary's College, just like my father, and I thought I was going to go into the graphic arts field. And I had a, a really difficult time trying to find something creative, a creative job that would really be inspiring. And it was at that time that I saw an exhibit of Ansel Adams' work at the Oakland Museum that greatly inspired me. In fact, I was mesmerized by his pictures of Yosemite Valley. And somebody at the gallery had told me that Ansel lived in Carmel. So that very next Monday morning, I called 411 information up for a listing on Ansel Adams. And sure enough, he was listed. I made the phone call. He picked up the phone and invited me to come down. And that's how I got into photography, was learning from Ansel himself. And what intrigued you at first? Uh, what was it that got your passion? I think it was really the the sense of black and white, the clarity, the sharpness, the dramatic nature of, of the pictures that he took. And um, it was really just stunning. It was almost an epiphany moment for me to view his photographs and certainly of Yosemite, which was always a, a favorite family vacation of ours. And you know, something that I was very familiar with. But to see those particular pictures, Tom, was just so inspirational to me. And then to meet him uh, was really quite extraordinary. And I really go back to those days thinking that that was really paving the road for me getting into photography. In fact, there are some things that I learned from Ansel that still stick with me today, such as the idea of pre-visualization which is almost a faith-filled sort of message, you know, to visualize in my world, to visualize the final picture before you even take it. But that could be applied to anything in business in a way, to have that kind of conviction at your heart along paired with inspiration and, and hard work. That must be a gift, though. I, I, when you talk about visualization, being a part-time golfer, uh, visualization, visualization is a big deal in golfing where you can see the ball landing on the green and so on. You hear the, the pro golfers talk about it a great deal, but I'm, I'm trying to imagine what it would be like to visualize a photograph, uh, before you've even put it together. And, and, and I also do a little oil painting and I know that in, whether it's a photograph or an oil painting, there's a number of problems that have to be solved. One is the composition the values, Chris, black and white, such sure. a, I've never worked in black and white. Well, maybe you can talk a little well, bit about first that. First of all, um, let me stop you right there because I can totally identify with my golf game <laughs> in the same way. It's free visualization doesn't translate to my golf game either. But I have to say it is almost like a faith-based type of uh, precept in terms of pre-visualization. I choose black and white more often than color just because I think it strips away the distractions of color. 
So black and white for me is is much more uh, powerful in terms of going right to the subject, right to that emotion that you're trying to translate in terms of photographing somebody. And I would say that there's always a bit of a disconnect with somebody that you meet in person that you might see on the screen or on the stage, say it's an entertainer. There's always a little bit of a disconnect when you meet them face-to-face because they're three-dimensional and they look different in person. There may be some characteristic that you pick up in person that you didn't notice before. So those things you take into account very quickly. And in regard to pre-visualization, I would say that probably most of my most favorite photographs were visualized before I even met the individual. So it may be somebody well-known. That, for the most part, is a lot of my subjects. They're very well-known. So for me, it's very easy to do some research ahead of time. But I would say that I have a a notion of the lighting, what type of side of the face I'm going to light first, what side would go into shadow, um, how I would pose that individual in a way that's going to be natural. But what's most important is really bringing across that particular emotion to make it real. I would never come into a, a situation with somebody and say, tell me cheese or, or say some particular word back to me just to try to enlighten them in some way to bring across an emotion that way. I would always want to have a conversation with them, be face-to-face with them, sitting across the table as if you and I uh, were talking even now, you know, and try to pull out certain emotions in the face um, that would be a characteristic of your personality. And how did Richard Avedon cross your path? Well, you know, after years of working with um, Ansel Adams, I really learned I had a great aptitude of what it took to make a good composition and a good execution of of a photograph. In other words, a good exposure, something that was well lit, something that wasn't underexposed or overexposed. Uh, but I realized after years of working with him, there was no way that I was going to be making a living doing nature photography. So I had always been interested in people. So I was very drawn to meet with Richard Avedon. It wasn't as easy as picking up the phone and calling uh, Ansel Adams. It took me a couple of weeks to get a short meeting with him at a studio in New York. But that was really the epiphany moment I needed to come back and to be fully immersed in being a portrait photographer. He talked to me a lot about the psychology that exists between subjects. So in other words, um, really being face-to-face with that subject, as I was saying earlier, in terms of pulling out different types of emotions that are really true expressions of that individual as opposed to trying to manipulate the situation. Well, I know that, uh, and I'm an amateur photographer, like everybody is today now with the smartphone, I guess. Everybody's taking pictures. But there are certain pictures I'll take of people I know. And when I see them, I really feel good because I feel I really capture who they are. And it it would seem to me that when you're doing portraiture, that this intimacy, I mean, it's a very intimate medium. Certainly. And getting to know them is extremely important to capture them on film. You just don't snap a picture, but you're, from what I just heard you say, you're, you've already envisioning how you want to shoot this. Maybe you can let us amateurs in a little bit more on what you do to get yourself prepared for the really good Well, picture. I always tell people that being a good photographer, photographer is much more about being a good psychologist as opposed to being somebody who's technically well-versed or somebody who's going to be good at lighting. All those kind of things can come into play and enhance a picture. But if you don't have the essence of of some particular trait in an individual, then it's all for naught. So I really think in terms of of exploring somebody, it's a a matter of being curious about that individual. Um, Fortunately, in my world, there's a lot of information on the people, the subjects that I photograph. So it's very easy for me to do some research. If it's somebody that I don't know, I'm inherently curious about that individual and I'll ask them questions. And soon that space is sort of dispelled to the point that we're just talking face to face. Well, that's great. Uh, and we're going to come back and talk some more about not only uh, the business of photography and how you built your business, but also uh, about some of the joys you've had along the way. We need to take a break. And when we return, we'll continue with Michael Colopy, one of our nation's premier portrait photographers, as he shares lessons learned from working with saints, world leaders, Nobel Prize laureates, celebrities. 
This is Tom Laurie, and this is The Mentors. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, the inventor of MyPillow. And like all of you out there, I had problems sleeping. Pillows would go flat. I would flip-flop all night long. I would wake up with a sore neck, maybe a headache, or feel like I needed a nap even though I slept eight hours. When I invented MyPillow, I wanted it to where you can move the patented fill to give you the exact support you need as an individual, regardless of sleep position. MyPillow will get you into that deep sleep faster, and you will stay there longer. It's not about how much time we spend in bed. It's about how much of that quality sleep we get. I do all of my own manufacturing right here in the United States. I have a 10-year warranty. You can wash and dry my pillow, and I give you a 60-day money-back guarantee so you have nothing to lose. And here's my best offer ever. MyPillow is now offering 50% off their four-pack special plus free shipping. Go to MyPillow.com or call 1-800-890-6632, 1-800-890-6632, and use promo code MENTORS. That's 50% off plus free shipping. Don't delay. Order now. A lifetime ago, young naval aviator Tom McGuire took the oath of allegiance to support and defend the U.S. Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Now a San Francisco PD homicide inspector, McGuire hadn't thought about the oath in years, but that was all about to change. A famous local newspaper columnist had been murdered. For McGuire, there's an eerie chill of recognition about it, hearkening back to his days as a prisoner of war after being shot down in North Vietnam. A lifetime ago, another young naval pilot took that same oath. Also shot down in battle, he too spent time as a POW, same camp as McGuire. After 30 years, their lives were about to cross once again. But how and why after all these years? Multi-award winning mystery author Dennis Kohler's The Oath can be found online or for an autographed copy at oathbook.org. That's oathbook.org, oathbook.org. And now... Back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. I'm Tom Laurie, your host for today. My guest mentor is Michael Colopy, one of our nation's preeminent portrait photographers who has photographed six presidents, 37 Nobel Prize laureates, hundreds of celebrities, and served as a personal photographer for St. Teresa of Calcutta. So you, you got inspired... But this, it still seems that building a business in photography would have a great deal of uncertainty attached to it. How did you go about getting started from a business standpoint? And who helped you along the way? Who helped you think through all of that? Well, I have to say it does involve a lot of faith, and it involves a lot of blind faith, Tom, in regard to taking that step forward and being immersed in that sort of inspiration to always go forward and to continually finding personal projects. I have to say with all of us that can be called in some way successful, it always comes as a result of other people. And I was very fortunate when I was 21 years old to meet Frank Sinatra. And I met him just by chance in a small theater over in San Carlos called the Circle Star Theater. About six years later, I ended up doing photography for him. And um, he used to love telling stories backstage and he would oftentimes tell me, say, kid, live each day as if it's your last, because one day you'll be right. <laughs> now, when I was in my 20s, I felt like, well, I'm only one bad picture away from being dumped in the bay with cement shoes. <laughs> <laughs> but he was very kind, and I, he ended up introducing me to a lot of his friends, and uh, I ended up doing a lot of photographing a lot of musicians, some of the Rat Pack, and certainly some friends like Ella Fitzgerald, Liza Minnelli, Paul Anka. Uh, the list goes on and on. And I really cite Sinatra as being somebody who was very instrumental in terms of bringing me forward in the business and introducing me to his friends. You know, if he liked you, he was very loyal and very helpful. And in fact, um, one of his daughters said in his lifetime, I think he gave away about a billion dollars in in charity um, in his not in his name. He always kind of kept his name out of it. But uh, I would say that he was probably the most instrumental as a young person getting started. Uh, and then it was really my inspiration to seek out individuals that were changing the world, that were making a difference in the world that really inspired me. And that really led me to meeting Mother Teresa. 
This is Tom Laurie. You're listening to the Mentors Radio Show. We are speaking with Michael Colopy, one of our nation's most treasured assets and preeminent photographers. So you're on this journey. Frank Sinatra really put you up on the radar screen. And you said you then, well, I want to ask a question. So how does it work with commissions? Somebody, somebody now seeking you. They just call you up and say, I'd like to have you take my picture or yeah, I meet think me over it, at Safeway. I mean, exactly. how does it go? <laughs> <laughs> it can work all of those ways. In fact, I think it's the best thing for a young business person is word of mouth. And once you get a reputation of taking a good picture of somebody, then the word spreads. And I think in the early years, even to this day, I don't have an agent representing me. It's really word of mouth. It's, it's one by one. Somebody says something. You know, it's actually a smaller kind of world than we all think. But I think it was, it was mostly, you know, recommendations that led me to other people and certainly inspiration. And again, you can go back to sort of our path, our path in life, uh, spiritually based, that leads you to certain people that change your life. So now somebody calls you up, they want you to do a picture. What is the process? Do you go spend time with them a day? Does it take three days? What does it take before you finally get them to sit down and start shooting? Or do you take a lot of pictures over time? What is? It just depends. You know, I feel that I can pretty much uh, take a, a, a portrait within moments. And in fact, you lose somebody if it goes too long. There are people out there that like being photographed. I think for most of us, including myself, we don't like being photographed. <laughs> so it's, it's a challenge. And I think to make that process very easy, to make it very personal, as you know, it is a personal kind of process, one-on-one. -on -one. I don't consider myself to be necessarily a photojournalist. I enjoy that process of taking a portrait of somebody, which means to really sit down face-to-face -face and getting to know that person. And it goes back to some of the early things that Richard Avedon taught me in regard to, certainly in our digital age, you know, we're oftentimes behind the camera. I think as often as we can to be able to put that camera on a tripod so that we can be face-to-face -face with the subject, the results would be far better hmm. because they'd be much more realistic. So you reminded me of my, my children who didn't like to have, be photographed a lot. They say, oh, dad, you can do it again. That's right. But now that they have children, uh, I think they have a camera as one of their appendages. They, wherever they go, they're taking pictures. I, I mean, it's kind of funny how the whole thing uh, evolves. Um, but I like, I, I, what I'll have to do next time is take a tripod when I shoot them and <laughs> tell them I want to get to know them better before I take their picture. That's right. <laughs> Put the cell phone on a, on a tripod. <laughs> so so you've, been, you've been out um, thinking about people you want to photograph, and one of them was Mother Teresa. How did you meet Mother Teresa? How did that story evolve? Well, I saw a movie when I was in high school. I went to a local high school here, Sarah High School, over in San Mateo. And I saw a movie called Something Beautiful for God that was done by Malcolm Muggeridge that very much inspired me to know more about her. At that time in 1976, it was before she won the Nobel Peace Prize. It was before she really was world famous, but she was famous enough to be out there on film and in books. So I really immersed myself to find out more about her. Five or six years later, I heard she was coming to the cathedral to speak I had friends that worked for the archdiocese that said they'd leave a seat up front. So I ended up walking in late. I went down through the basement of the cathedral. And as soon as I went down through the basement stairs, she was right in front of me, walked up to me as if we were meant to meet, and invited me to come back to her house the next morning to see her particular mission, her novitiate that she was establishing in San Francisco. And as soon as I rang the doorbell, she said, I'm so happy you're here because you're going to drive me around to my appointments today. <laughs> so that's how we got to know each other. <laughs> so when you uh, met her, what was the first thing that struck you about her presence? Well, I would say that, first of all, physically, she was quite small. She was about four foot 11, had very large hands and misshapen feet indoles that almost look like tree roots, very warm, penetrating eyes, greenish-blue eyes that were quite penetrating, very lovely and laughing and funny and incredibly personable. Um, I really noticed immediately, Tom, that humility that she possessed. 
and that ability to see the face of God and people that she encountered in her life uh, being completely selfless. And she, um, I mean, one of the things that I, I've, I've seen her on a number of videos and everything, and she was a, to me, she's a great story for people that seek power and money in this world because she was one of the most powerful people in the world when she passed away, yet she owned nothing. That's right. And she ran only, all she did is run a, uh, not all, but she had her sisters. Uh, That's right. I mean, that, that is, to me, the amazing story about Mother Teresa. Yeah, incredible. It was that combination of deep conviction and deep humility. And it was truly going back to love at the center of her particular existence. She never saw herself as a social worker. She saw herself as being the spouse of Jesus, and she was going to spread that particular love throughout the world. And uh, it didn't matter what religious person she was in front of, whether it was a Hindu, Jew, uh, Muslim, um, didn't matter what religious conviction that individual had, she was going to spread love uh, to the world and through that individual. I once asked her, did she ever get tired of, of the suffering that she encountered and the individuals who were suffering? And she said, you know, I can only love one person at a time. I can only serve one person at a time. So that's how I go about doing my work, one by one. So there's great lessons for all of us, regardless of our walk of life. We, we're going to take a break, and when we return, we're going to continue with Michael Colopy, one of our nation's premier portrait photographers, as he shares lessons learned from working with saints, world leaders, Nobel Prize winners, and celebrities. This is Tom Laurie, and this is The Mentors Radio. Americans have been traveling down the health insurance highway for decades. But lately, it's been taking us to places we don't want to go. For Christians, it's hard to know which road to take. Or is it? Samaritan Ministries provides a different direction, a biblical path for their members to pray for each other and share financially in each other's medical needs. This idea that Samaritan has adopted from the book of Acts should permeate all parts of our lives, not just health sharing. We, as a body of believers, are living out New Testament Christianity. This is what God intended for the church. Looking for a new direction for your health care? Join the hundreds of thousands of Samaritan Ministries members who are faithfully sharing millions of dollars in medical needs each month. For more information, visit us online at SamaritanMinistries.org. That's SamaritanMinistries.org. Are you struggling with how to practice your faith at work? Get answers to your questions and much more on the Catholic Business Journal. Focusing on careers and business with a Catholic perspective. That's CatholicBusinessJournal.biz. The Catholic Business Journal, generating a return on principle. CatholicBusinessJournal.biz. CatholicBusinessJournal.biz. Do you want to make a living and live a meaningful life? Is it possible to be financially successful while making a positive difference in the world? Chris Lowney, author of the best-selling business classic, Heroic Leadership, and popular speaker on topics of leadership, corporate ethics, and decision-making, shares with you his 10 simple daily habits to building a better life and world, and how to implement them in his new book, Make Today Matter. Some of these habits include don't win the race, give away your sneakers, be more grateful, and control the controllables. Make Today Matter is a 2018 Distinguished Favorite Book in the Independent Press Awards and makes the perfect gift for anyone in a time of transition, graduating high school or college, beginning a new job, or entering retirement. No matter where you are in life, it is never too late to make today matter. Available everywhere books are sold. When a prospect like Sarah visits your website, will she engage with your content? Will your message be friendly? Will it be informative? Most important, will it build trust, like one friend to another? If not, go to betterwebsales.com and contact Katherine Andes. Katherine can freshen your website, plus drive more traffic with SEO, helping you turn visitors into customers. Start today. Go now to betterwebsales.com. That's betterwebsales.com. And now, 
Back to the Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. I'm Tom Laurie, your host for today. My guest mentor is Michael Colopy, one of our nation's preeminent portrait photographers, who has photographed six U.S. presidents, 37 Nobel Prize laureates, hundreds of celebrities, and served as a personal photographer for St. Teresa of Calcutta. We're delighted with the response that our show has received. If you've missed any of this show or any previous episode, you can download our podcast by going to our website, thementorsradio.com. That is thementorsradio.com. Remember to subscribe while you're there and so you do not miss any other shows. All of our content is available for free. So we're talking about Mother Teresa, and you had a long, long relationship and did two books, I think, uh, with her? Well, I did one book with her, Tom, and I contributed to probably about five or six books on her. And just to stop you there in terms of photographing her, you know, she didn't have a personal photographer. She allowed me to photograph her You're over the course personal. of... You're kind of personal. That's pretty personal. Yeah. You spent, her, what, 13 years? For, 15 years 15 altogether. Years? But she told me early on, she said, I have this deal with God that for every photograph taken of me, a soul is released from purgatory. So you can imagine the pressure that put me under. <laughs> Shooting a lot of film. <laughs> That's right. In fact, one day I was in Washington, D.C. with a sea of journalists, and she caught me in the middle of this crowd, and she came over shaking her finger with a big smile saying, today the place is cleaned out. <laughs> of course, she and I knew what she meant there. <laughs> And do you have any special stories of uh, when you've been with her and things? Uh, there are a number of people I've met who have spent time with her, and they usually have one or two sp- stories that really stand out. Oh, I have so many stories through the years with her. In fact, you know, I have to say that, you know, some of my most cherished memories are, are memories almost without the camera. I remember uh, her feeding our oldest son the bottle and, you know, times where I would just be kneeling next to her in the chapel alone where we would be sharing a prayer book and I'd be hearing her follow along with the prayers in her very deep, almost theatrical voice and her very high singing voice. Uh, But she was such a charismatic, beautiful woman to be around. And even after, years after she's been gone, um, there are so many miracles attributed to her. In fact, um, miracles that even come close to our family. I know that we have one very close friend who was suffering from stage four cancer that I brought a miraculous medal to, and this is years after mother had died, and she claimed that she saw an apparition of mother in front of me, and she's been free of cancer for 16 years now. So those sort of intercessions are almost commonplace with mother throughout the world. Uh, But I have many, many wonderful memories of her through the years, and she was such a thoughtful person. She would oftentimes write us letters and send us pictures, uh, holy cards throughout the year uh, at various places that she visited, and very thoughtful person. Well, there's a priest I know that uh, went to see her, and he waited outside. uh, This is back in India, in Calcutta. And he was waiting for her. He was told to wait for her. And he was waiting to go into her office. And somebody came shuffling along with a chair and sat down next to him. And it was Mother Teresa. And he was surprised that was her office. She just carried a chair with her. Exactly. So, I mean, it shows the humility. Yeah. Incredible humility. humility. And, and to speak to the humility, in Calcutta, I remember one morning looking for my wife. And I went from floor to floor to try to find her. Uh, in the large house that she had uh, for her sisters. She probably housed maybe two to 300 sisters with her at the mother house in Calcutta. And as I rose to, I think, the second floor, I saw Mother Teresa on her hands and knees scrubbing the floor just like any of the other sisters. Mm. So there was nothing too small for her to get involved with as well as the mother general. Now, you also photographed uh, St. John Paul II. Uh, I did. How did you... Did they ask you to come and take his picture, or did you see somebody you pursued? (laughs) Well, I was assigned to photograph him, Tom, when he came out to America. That was the first time in 1987 uh, that I spent about a week photographing him throughout uh, the East Coast and then out here in California. And uh, then I went to Mexico City on two occasions to photograph um, John Paul II and also in in Italy, too, on a number of occasions— 
And he was incredibly charismatic to be around for those of your listeners who saw him in person. They can certainly concur with me that he was had just incredible charisma. There were many events that there were a million people basically there along with me viewing him. Well, I had a chance to actually meet him in person. And the thing I remember the most is his sense of humor and the sparkle he had in That's his right. eye. Tremendous sparkle. That's right. This is Tom Laurie. You're listening to The Mentors Radio. We're speaking with uh, St. Mother Teresa's photographer, a photographer, Michael <laughs> Colopy, somebody who tagged along and took a lot of pictures, saving a lot of souls in the process. <laughs> That's right. So you also um, uh, took pictures of some world, great world leaders, uh, Margaret Thatcher, Mikhail Gorbachev, and others. Is there anyone in particular that really stands out in terms of what you – as I said, this is an intimate medium that you're involved in. Anything, any lessons Well, I was learned? reflecting a little bit earlier on a portrait that I had taken of uh, George H.W. Bush, uh, which turned out to be one of the last portraits that were ever sanctioned of him uh, in Houston. And he was just such a, a wonderful guy, very charismatic as well, but had a great sense of humor. At that point, uh, he couldn't walk, so he was riding this scooter, and he was pretty reckless, I have to say, with this scooter scuffing the walls as, of his office as he went around. But he was a wonderful man to work with, and I've gotten to know the Bush family a little bit, um, and they're they're really just warm-hearted and good people. And I, I've been blessed in my life to photograph a lot of uh, interesting folks. I go back uh, to my years growing up in the 60s. I had a great affinity to the Apollo astronauts, for example. And one of the rare portraits I was able to take was one of Neil Armstrong, who was quite shy and felt that his place as first man on the moon was a matter of circumstance. It wasn't anything that he himself um, was able to kind of position himself for, um, for, for his own kind of calling. And it was fascinating to sit down with him. I remember asking him what was the scariest part of that Apollo 11 mission, and he told me the scariest part for him was being on the lunar surface and the thought of being locked out of the lunar module because Buzz Aldrin had the only key to get back inside. <laughs> but it was fascinating talking with him because I had so much uh, in common in regard to um, his mission of taking photographs with the Hasselblad while he was up in the command module. And he said that he was going around the dark side of the moon and saw this beautiful blue glow of the Earth's atmosphere glow against the dark side of the moon. He said he tried to capture it with film, with transparency film, uh, with the Hasselblad, but was unsuccessful. And I really was able to identify with that as well in that disconnect when you meet somebody, as I said earlier, who you know quite well or you feel familiar with being on the screen or on the stage. And when you meet them in person, there is sort of a disconnect, uh, that three-dimensional, uh, from a two-dimensional to a three-dimensional individual and trying to capture uh, that person's essence is sometimes um, so challenging that it's out of reach. Well, when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, Maya Angelou, who you had a friendship with. Uh, this is uh, Tom Laurie. This is The Mentors. If you have any questions or any feedback, call anytime at 844-810-8255. That's 844-810-TALK. We're speaking with Michael Colopy as he shares lessons learned from working with clients from St. Mother Teresa to Mick Jagger. In classrooms across America, students are not learning the same history you did. Last year, McGraw-Hill apologized for calling slave trade immigration, and a popular world history textbook devotes a full chapter to Islam and Muhammad, but only a few sentences to Christianity and Christ. Recent federal testing shows students are far worse in knowledge of U.S. history than in math. Only 12% of high school students are proficient in U.S. history. Today's history textbooks not only fail to engage, they favor political correctness over true history. This is a serious problem that has a far-reaching impact on our culture and our future. What are your kids and grandkids learning? At CatholicTextbookProject.com, you'll find fresh, accurate, engaging history textbooks. Used in Catholic schools in more than 60 dioceses, these textbooks are highly praised by all, even award-winning secular university professors. Go to CatholicTextbookProject.com to find out why. 
Ah, my health insurance is killing me. Well, it was killing me, too. That's why I just switched to a non-insurance ministry. It only costs $320 per month for my family of seven, and it's even less for couples and singles. Wow. It's a solid organization, been around 17 years. We have the dependability of a proven method, but it's different. It's Christian-based, so we don't have to pay for non-Christian practices like abortions. Plus, we can choose our own doctors. What is it? Samaritan Ministries. SamaritanMinistries.org. That's easy to remember. SamaritanMinistries.org. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. I'm Tom Laurie, and your host for today. My guest mentor is Michael Callopy, one of our nation's preeminent portrait photographers. And we've been talking about the work he's done with uh, St. Mother Teresa, St. John Paul II, George Bush, and others. And um, we were talking just before we went to break about uh, Maya Angelou, and you had quite a relationship with her, really. I did. I More met her. More than just Tom. making pictures. That's right. I, I did. And that happens oftentimes with some clients of mine. In fact, uh, with Dr. Angelo, I met her when I had photographed her with Ellie Wiesel, uh, when I photographed both of them for my book, Architects of Peace, uh, back before the um, year 2000. And she used to invite us over um, to her house for Thanksgivings uh, in North Carolina, and she would make these fabulous dinners. And, you know, I oftentimes think of, of some of her sayings, and I was there present when she won the Medal of Freedom um, and received that at the White House, and that was quite an extraordinary moment to witness with her. Uh, but she said that, you know, people will forget what you said and they'll forget what you did, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. And it's such a, a true um, observation of all of us, what's really important in our relationships. Certainly, I'll never forget how she made us feel, my wife and I and our family, how she made us feel so welcome at Thanksgiving and not only her fabulous cooking, but also you know, that camaraderie, that deep friendship. We would oftentimes go around her long dinner table afterwards and play word games, which in any other circumstance would be quite uh, daunting to play a word game with Maya Angelou. But uh, she loved board games and different types of games, and we always had so much fun and laughter around her house. And what other people that you well, have had special relationships? You know, Robert Redford, I would say that I got to know uh, Redford through the years. In fact, uh, that brings to mind a funny story. He told me that he oftentimes loves making the drive. He lives now in Napa, loves making the drive from Napa to um, Sundance, Utah. And there was a day that he was driving, and it was a very warm day. So he said he'd stop to get an ice cream. It was a probably a Baskin-Robbins ice cream with the mirrored background, and he walked in, and there was a woman in front of him that, even though Redford was wearing glasses, certainly recognized, oh, that's Robert Redford behind me. So she ordered her ice cream and ran out of the store, and he was ordering his ice cream, and this same woman came running back with the hand full of change, saying to the cashier, you know, I have my change, but I forgot my ice cream. <laughs> and Redford had to tell her, well, apparently she had put the ice cream face down in her purse. <laughs> <laughs> but he's a wonderful guy also. It's hard for me to imagine um, he in his 80s because he, he's always such a youthful individual. But I was blessed to photograph both he and Paul Newman, and they had quite an interesting, funny relationship back and forth with each other. They used to play pranks on each other. And I remember another time Redford telling me that he had one of his sports cars compacted and sent to <laughs> Newman's house as lawn furniture. <laughs> and of course, this went back and forth with each other to the point where Redford was waiting at home and saw this big semi-truck coming and loading, offloading box after box after box. And certainly he went out to the driver and said, I'm not expecting any kind of delivery and opened up one of these boxes and realized that it was coming from Westport, Connecticut, which of course was Paul Newman's home. And he opened up one of the box and it was toilet tissue with Redford's face on each sheet. <laughs> <laughs> as far as I know, they never fessed up to one another that they were pulling these kind of pranks on each other. Yeah. But he has a wonderful sense of humor and really I would say, Tom, in terms of my life as a photographer, it's been 
as it is with most of us business people, it's all about the relationships. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't go back and really think, oh, that was a great photograph, or I don't really come back and celebrate the photographs as much as I do with the deep relationships that I was able to forge with many of these people. This is Tom Laurie. You're listening to The Mentors Radio. Today we're speaking with Michael Colopy, one of our nation's preeminent portrait photographers. So what would you give, uh, what advice would you give a 16-year-old that would like to pursue a career in photography like you, following your footsteps? Well, I would be very, very um, forthright in trying to have them pursue it. You know, I wouldn't be negative in any way because I really go back to those years of Ansel and Richard Avedon and even my father, who was an artist, really paving the way of, of going into this particular field, even though it's a lot more difficult now. Everybody has a cell phone. Everybody has a camera. And it's a lot more difficult to find those particular jobs that are paying. But I do believe that they're out there. And I think it's all about passion and inspiration and going back to that conviction that I talked about earlier, I think that if you possess those three things, you have that recipe to be able to be successful. And it's about really um, working hard and you get some lucky breaks along the way. I certainly made a tremendous amount of mistakes. And I oftentimes reflect on some of those worst mistakes that I've made and continue to make. Tell us about one of them. (laughs) Well, I remember one, (laughs) I can tell you many, but one in particular, I had a a job at a college, which was great because it was a retainer job. So it provided money throughout the whole month for a photographer. That was a great thing. And it turned out that all I had to do on this one particular night was to photograph the college president, who happened to be a woman, her husband, and a very famous artist. He was a sculpture artist, world-renowned, who had an opening at the particular college gallery. And he was a ceramic artist, so he had a lot of his installations that were positioned on the ground and some on the wall. And I felt like since the place was just completely packed with critics and news media, I thought I'm going to do this very quick, what we would call as photographers, grip and grin shot and get out of there for the night. So I figured, you know, as soon as she walks in, I'm going to photograph her against this particular piece that I liked and then take this portrait and walk out. And so she came in with her husband and she gave her husband quite a a talking to as to who I was and kind of built me up as being this person that I definitely am not. And so I figured, you know, I'll squeeze them in. I was shooting with a wide angle lens and you know how that is if it's somebody who's a little bit overweight. If you have a wide angle lens and you have them too close to the edges, they're going to look twice as large. So I kept telling them to come in a little bit tighter. And as I was stepping back to fit them in the frame, I walked right into one of his pieces and broke my fall. (laughs) I broke my fall with my camera in his ceramic piece. (laughs) So to this day, Tom, I don't know how I actually got out of that particular room (laughs) because I know all the attention were right to my face. And I thought over the weekend, I thought, you know, here I am. I've lost that job. I've lost the retainer. What am I going to do in supporting my wife and kids? And I went back to apologize to the college president And I said, I was very sorry for what happened. And she said, well, that's okay. I really didn't care for his work anyways. (laughs) (laughs) So it doesn't always end that way. (laughs) Well, when we come back, I'm going to ask you a question about the change in the landscape uh, for photographers over time. Uh, My guest mentor today is Michael Colopy. We'll be back in a minute after the break. Like us on Facebook at TheMentorsRadio.com. You'll find all of our show notes and links at mentorsradio.com. This is Tom Laurie, and this is The Mentors Radio. Hey, there's something new for you at the mentorsradio.com website, a new special offers page. There you'll find unique offers available only to our listeners, you. For example, have you ever wondered if a career coach could help you get to the next level? Find out. For a limited time, a superb career coach is offering you a free session. The offers change all the time, so bookmark TheMentorsRadio.com. That's TheMentorsRadio.com. TheMentorsRadio.com. A lifetime ago, young naval aviator Tom McGuire took the oath of allegiance to support and defend the U.S. Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. 
Now a San Francisco PD homicide inspector, McGuire hadn't thought about the oath in years, but that was all about to change. A famous local newspaper columnist had been murdered. For McGuire, there's an eerie chill of recognition about it, hearkening back to his days as a prisoner of war after being shot down in North Vietnam. A lifetime ago, another young naval pilot took that same oath. Also shot down in battle, he too spent time as a POW, same camp as McGuire. After 30 years, their lives were about to cross once again. But how and why after all these years? Multi-award winning mystery author Dennis Kohler's The Oath can be found online or for an autographed copy at oathbook.org. That's oathbook.org, oathbook.org. When a prospect like Sarah visits your website, will she engage with your content? Will your message be friendly? Will it be informative? Most important, will it build trust, like one friend to another? If not, go to betterwebsales.com and contact Catherine Andes. Catherine can freshen your website, plus drive more traffic with SEO, helping you turn visitors into customers. Start today. Go now to betterwebsales.com. That's betterwebsales.com. Do you want to make a living and live a meaningful life? Is it possible to be financially successful while making a positive difference in the world? Chris Lowney, author of the best-selling business classic, Heroic Leadership, and popular speaker on topics of leadership, corporate ethics, and decision-making, shares with you his 10 simple daily habits to building a better life and world, and how to implement them in his new book, Make Today Matter. Some of these habits include don't win the race, give away your sneakers, be more grateful, and control the controllables. Make Today Matter is a 2018 Distinguished Favorite Book in the Independent Press Awards and makes the perfect gift for anyone in a time of transition, graduating high school or college, beginning a new job, or entering retirement. No matter where you are in life, it is never too late to make today matter. Available everywhere books are sold. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. I'm Tom Laurie, your host for today. My guest mentor today is Michael Colopy, one of our nation's great assets, great portrait photographer. So we were talking a, a bit about somebody 16 years old coming into the into the industry of uh, photography. But a lot has changed. I mean, you no longer have the print media that we used to have where pictures were highlighted, Look Magazine and Posts and all these old magazines used to have these great photographs. How does the work get distributed? How do you you create uh, your brand? How do you become known these days? Well, I think these days it's, it's even more of an opportunity because you have all those social media outlets. So in that way, I think it's, it's incredibly promising for a young photographer. However, I go back to um, the words of Quincy Jones. I spent about seven months working with Quincy Jones on his illustrated memoirs. And at that point in his life a few years ago, he was really Uh, thinking it was so important for a young musician to go back and to really see what was done before him and to gain an appreciation for all the musicality that took place. And I think that's true of photography as well. I mean, the fact that we have cell phones, it's very easy to take pictures now. Um, You don't have that maybe ability to find out how do you actually create an exposure that's that's really solid, that's not underexposed or overexposed? Do you really understand how the light works from that perspective? I think it's very important to educate yourself, whether it be through school or through mentors, uh, to be able to find out how to take a correct exposure, how to find a particular aesthetic, to really hone in on your particular um, style, to do something completely different that hasn't been done out there, been done out there before so that you can forge your own road, I think is, is incredibly important. But to answer your question, I think that there's a lot of avenues uh, for young photographers. I think social media 
uh, allows a lot of opportunity out there. It's an equal playing field and completely open canvas. Are you on social media? I am. I have a Facebook. In fact, um, I have a, a nonprofit right now called Graybird that's actually rebranding my own personal site and my nonprofit site, Architects of Peace. And are there any special books or programs that you'd recommend to young photographers on gaining these insights that you're talking about? Well, I think to go back to some of the masters, certainly there are great photographers. We've talked about a couple today, Ansel Adams and Richard Avedon. They have wonderful documentaries on their particular life work. Annie Leibowitz is another fabulous photographer who does uh, teach classes online. She has a master class that somebody can actually view and really uh, gain a great appreciation for the field in. And... As you think back over your life now, and you're still relatively young and a lot of years to go, (laughs) a lot of years to go, but when you think about all these different people that you've met, and there's all different walks of life, what is the common thread that you found for those people that you saw in them that they were at peace with life and had some sense of happiness and joy? I would say that it was three things. A good sense of humor. That's that's probably the first thing. Uh, humility and that incredible drive and charisma, uh, that drive and passion, that inspiration, that conviction, all wrapped up in that one sort of word of conviction, of going forward, of waking up each day and having a purpose. And looking back, is there anything you would have changed about your life? Any regrets? Anything that you'd do differently? Well, I guess we always have regrets, but I think I wouldn't do anything different, Tom, because it it led me to this particular place. And when I look back on my life, I can see the puzzle sort of fitting together as to why this happened to enable this other thing to happen in my life. we got 30 seconds. Tell us a little bit about Architects of Peace. Well, Architects of Peace is an educational curriculum that is paired with portrait photography of some of these great world figures, such as Nelson Mandela, Mother Teresa, the Dalai Lama, some of our known and unknown peacemakers out there that have changed the world and trying to educate young people on these great lives and how they can take the great qualities of those lives and apply them to themselves. Well, we're out of time. It's really been a joy. Thank you, Michael, for the privilege of your time. We've been talking to Michael Colopy, one of our nation's preeminent portrait photographers, and what he learned from his life working with saints, world leaders, athletes, and celebrities. Remember, if you tuned in late, you can listen to this and past shows by downloading podcasts by going to our website, thementorsradio.com. That's thementorsradio.com. When you're there, make it easy for yourself and subscribe to future shows. Thank you for listening. We will be back next week and at this time for the next edition of The Mentors Radio. Until then, this is Tom Laurie signing off for today. Remember to be a light in the world for those who struggle in darkness. It's been The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. To get more information about the program or a sponsor, to download a podcast of today's show, or to leave a question for our host, go to TheMentorsRadio.com. That's www.TheMentorsRadio.com. The preceding program, copyright CBJ, LLC. All rights reserved.